and welcome back to the goddamn give and go i'm your co-host reynoso and i'm here with my boy soltero what's up guys so much has happened in the past month of football all across the world so much has happened between us you had a spiritual awakening in argentina <laughs> and you fulfilled a journey mm. a full circle journey that's how yourself finally kiss the argentine soil you, you know what's really weird is when i woke up that day we were all like hung over from the night before i was even wondering are we going to make it the fuck out to the el obelisco um but as i started getting ready took a shower i actually got a little emotional just personally like when i was just you know yeah. getting ready yeah and i was like damn you know a full year of the give and go after a beautiful amazing world cup and then all of a sudden we're here in buenos aires and i'm like okay so now i'm actually here for something and now i'm about to do that said something which is kiss the soil very strange very emotional weirdly very weird but once we actually did it nothing but pure joy seriously it was actually really cathartic to let it all out to kiss that beautiful argentinian soil yeah and to know that the saga's done congratulations argentina but i'm ready to do it all over again (laughs) man for the 2026 world cup for the copa america for the euros let's go i'm ready to say some more controversial (laughs) shit bro i'm ready you ready to go all in once again now all in man all in ready it is crazy bro i was thinking about it too that same night in the build-up to it i was like Man, like, we're a penalty shootout away ah. from being in France instead. I know. A penalty shootout away from being correct for you yourself. Like, that's crazy, man. It's almost like we were, not we, because I wasn't part of this. <laughs> it's almost like on, you, man. you were destined to get that prediction wrong. It, it's yeah. almost like it was. It, that was how it, what was meant to be for you yourself personally. But then I think for the sake of the channel, man, like, what a perfect narrative for us as we just start this this beautiful podcast with this beautiful audience to have this be the, the key motivator for all of us, something to keep an eye on for so long and to finally complete it at the very end of the year on the one-year anniversary, by the way, of Argentina lifting the trophy. It, it's one of those things, man. It's one of those things, just like in football, where it just it transcends what happens in real life this is something spiritual this is something crazy that we got to experience as a whole as brothers out in argentina in what was a beautiful country argentina was great it was great and it ended up taking out probably about a month out of our schedule because we just had it we needed time to reset we needed time to reach we needed time to focus once again on what our main goals are and brother we're back to this beautiful world of football and what a world it is man because i came back to what felt like 2018 football man because i came back to seeing cristiano ronaldo finish off the season as a top goal scorer across all leagues in the world <laughs> i saw mo salah continue it's playing really like prime time mo salah reaching 150 goals just like he did for liverpool back in back in 2018 and then to top it all off i see Jaden sancho rumored to go back to borussia dortmund man it's like we fucking time travel for a little bit back to what was a great era of football that's what we're coming back to now because some of these headlines have been crazy And to add to that, I want to make a note to acknowledge the winners that that had major achievements while we were gone and while we were not able to talk football. And I actually want to start that here in the USA with Columbus Crew lifting a monumental trophy over LAFC, who was who was seeking to defend their title from last year. Columbus Crew completely outplayed them, and they saw themselves lift the trophy, securing what was our prediction as well as both of us had Columbus Crew defeating this LAFC side. Shout out Columbus Crew, bro. They popped off in that first half in Columbus against LAFC. Those two goals when they scored within the span of like seven, eight minutes with each other, it was nuts. Columbus was flying high. LAFC looked stunned. When you looked at every single face of the players that was on that pitch, they were like, oh shit, we're down 2-0. There's an entire half left to be played. Can we actually do this? Columbus looked unstoppable in that moment, man. It was ridiculous. The crowd was on fire and Columbus looked truly unstoppable going into halftime. But the second half, I was actually a little surprised because LAFC came back into it a little bit, not even with the goal, but just kind of to stop Columbus from dominating them. They were able to get one goal back, but ultimately it just yeah. wasn't yeah. enough. Columbus completely deserved this win, in my opinion, and they look so, so 100%. good lifting this MLS Cup. Yeah, man, and Giorgio Chiellini announcing his retirement afterwards. Yeah. Shout out to him. Carlos Vela looking like he played his last game for LAFC. For sure. But Columbus Crew specifically, 
specifically, man. Hey, I said that some team, one of these Ohio teams would be able to do it. It's good to see that it was Columbus Crew that was able to pick up after what was Cincinnati's absolute choke job in the semifinals. And to me, it's it's merited. They were the best team in MLS overall throughout the entire year. And I hope that those fans of this team can really appreciate this victory because I think they went on a magical run, man, with the way that Wilfred Nancy really led these guys to believing that they could achieve this massive, massive achievement. And I love what he said after the game where he was quoted saying, impossible is an opinion because he believed, he always believed that this Columbus Crew team would have what it takes to lift an MLS Cup and he has integrated his philosophy 100% into them to finally achieve the biggest trophy in the United States. So... Congrats to them, congrats to Will for Nancy, Columbus Crew, major, major achievement. And across the border, we saw a historic result with Las Aguilas America lifting their 14th trophy in their history after dismantling Tigres in extra time in that second leg. Yeah, the game itself ended up being way less exciting from an entertainment perspective compared to last final with Chivas against Tigres. That final was, oh, that, man, that, that was crazy. One of the best games of 2023. I, I thought so. about it. No, yeah. seriously. Like that, both of those legs, especially the last one, was one of the craziest League MX finals I've ever seen. So this one had a lot to live up mm-hmm. to, and it definitely did not. What ended up happening for both games, bro, just a gritty affair. Very tight. First leg was 1-1. The second one was nil-nil for the entire 90 minutes in regulation. America should have won it once Fulgencio got the red card in the 80th minute because they started really turning it on and going against Tigres. They should have just finished it then and there. Tigres held on. Going extra time, though, there was zero, zero chance that Tigres were going to get anything out of it. They were down a man. America looked hungry. They looked more energetic, knowing they were going to be up a man for 30 more minutes. There was zero chance, bro. bro. Yeah, yeah, essentially. And then up three at the very end. It was ridiculous. And so America end up taking a complete advantage of that, as they should have, because I think they did deserve it at the end of the day. Tigres were just a little bit too defensive for me. I think Gignac's just, you know, not getting any younger. It's not really his fault. He still did great considering his age. And for the rest of Tigres, they did what they could. But I do think the better team won. America are champions of Mexico for the Apertura. And yeah, congratulations, Mm. man. Mm. This this game left a bad taste in my mouth, man, because... You got, you got Nahuel Guzman acting like Nahuel Neuer. The way he was out of his fucking box. Way too far out. Stupid decision making. That should have never happened. Boom, that's the second red card for them. But for me, yeah. that first initial red card by Fulgencio, what is he doing, bro? That was crazy. What is he doing? So rash. And I know some people think the call was, you know, it could have gone out of the way. That's fine. But for me, just... As a Tigres disciplinary point of view, what are you doing? You just came into the match. What are you trying to do, bro? And what's frustrating is that minutes before that attempt, I remember that Carioca hit the goddamn post, man. Hit the goddamn post off an incredible long-range effort. If that goes in, it's a completely different match. But the moment that red card was assigned, the moment Fulgencio just lost his head completely, and then Noel Guzman followed, <laughs> this game was done, bro. Yeah. It was done, and in, in, in America just completely went off. And it's interesting, I've talked to multiple America fans who obviously they're happy to have lifted this trophy, but I'm getting that same sentiment of not being fully fulfilled because it it's not they didn't win it in a fully convincing way because nah. of those calls, man. And that's the part that kind of sucks, at least from that perspective of wanting to be a champion. They just came back from being down 2-0, and they had this crazy narrative and crazy story. It was beautiful to see. I mean, not for me, but for everybody else. But for America, it took some shaky calls. It took Tigres completely losing their heads for them to finally crack them. And I think that's the perspective that these America fans have. Yeah, I mean, in a way, I do agree with them. America over both legs in this finals did not let's just say pop off yeah they did well and they did well enough to obviously win it they kept their heads and you know through goals through quinones they were able to ultimately lift through the ultimately lift this trophy but i wouldn't be too harsh on america because i mean dude this is tigres and let's be honest tigres is probably this the next biggest team in mexico over the last like what five six years the consistency that theaters have had to consistently make finals or to consistently make deep runs is ridiculous. It's unparalleled. Not even America have been as successful. And so when you think about it like that, Tigres is a tough opponent, a really tough opponent. So the fact that it was 1-1-0-0 for both regulation, during both regulations in both games, I don't think that's actually surprising because that's what Tigres do. At the very least, if Tigres is not outperforming you, they're going to keep it tight. 
And that's exactly what they did. Obviously, you can be a little bit disappointed if you're America because the team that you have is the best team in Mexico. But they just always find a way mm. to make it competitive. And they did. Yeah, you got to take it, man. You got to take a championship. I yeah. remember when, when Chivas won it again, uh, over Tigres in, what, 2017, 2018? Yeah. Chivas was leading 2-0. Tigres scores a goal to make it 2-1. And I remember, like, late in the game, there was a what was a shaky no call for Tigres that could have been called as a penalty for them to make it a 2-2 even match. Referee didn't call it. <laughs> Chivas wins the game. Now, from that moment on, I never I never once felt that we didn't fully deserve that trophy, man. I just looked past it because for me, the fact that Tigres is here almost every single season and the yes. fact that Chivas rarely gets this opportunity now, you have to take it, man. You have to take it, even if it is a little controversial at some point. So shout out to America and their fans because that is a big trophy to make it 14 and you know, kind of creates a gap up top that they've been wanting to create for a while now. Over in Argentina, where we were visiting, we had another champion happen while we were gone. Rosario Central, crowned champions of La Liga Profesional against Platense after what was a very entertaining final. Yeah, there was two names that really stood out for me that I was not expecting to see when I saw this game. Both of them from Rosario Central, who ended up lifting the title, as you just said. One of them is Mexican, bro. Luca Martinez Dupuy just won a title in Argentina and he was born in San Luis Potosí. Yeah. I just want to <laughs> repeat that a Mexican just won a title down in Argentina, bro. That's actually crazy. And he's like yeah. 22 years old. He's actually pretty young. Um, turns out he was born in Mexico to Argentinian parents, which is, I guess, why he's back down there. But, I mean, he was a starting number nine for Rosario Central crazy. all season. Crazy. And he ended up starting in this final. And he didn't score, but he lifted this title. Mm -hmm. Huge. Really curious to see if he ever gets the call-up for the senior team. He's gotten the U20, U23 call-up for Mexico. So he's already enjoying the Mexican youth system. I wonder if he's going to entertain the senior. Yeah. Or if he even gets that call-up. I, I just think it would be a waste to not call him I up to so. be honest bro like It'd be a complete miss man i think like, so. we're giving other kids way more attention that i don't think deserve it as much as the boy does yeah yeah and that's like one of the criticisms i'll give the mexican national team in comparison to the usa is the usa over the last two years they've tried like 80 players mm -hmm. you know they just even if it's for one game they'll call them up play them and they're like, all right great we'll, we'll see you maybe in two years yeah you know? <laughs> yeah they should do the same thing with the boy i just don't see why not he's 22 he's playing senior level football Ball. not only that but he's winning so why not just call him up for a friendly call him up for you know they should have called him up for the gold cup or yeah, something man yeah something not as high stakes but now they haven't done it yet and i just think yeah that's just another thing to add to the mexican national team yeah. but rosario rosario, rosario man. man huge and another play that i wanted to highlight victor malcorra the streets of Pumas will know him. Had a great stint down in Mexico. Was not expecting to see him here yeah. in Argentina. But apparently he's now playing for Rosario Central, seeing out the rest of his career. And he ended up being a, you know, a pretty feisty figure. Still's got that crazy mullet. And he just goes, oh, yeah. flies down yeah. that wing, bro. He's still got that signature move. So Malcorra also ended up winning alongside Dupuy. So congratulations, Rosario Central. And now I'll add an ex-player into this when the streets of Chivas will remember this man. Martin Palermo coaching Platense. Yeah. Martin Palermo, who infamously spit and fought with Bofa Bautista in La Bombonera back when he played for Boca Juniors and, and was scoring goal after goal for that club. He's not a coach for Platense and he even spent some time, I believe, in Mexico coaching as well. So, he, I mean, maybe he might have something to his coaching nature because he made it to a final in Argentina mm. and ended up losing against his Rosario Central team. Yeah, and a small club, by the way, too, Club Atlético Platense. So, so super exciting that they were even able to get to that final. Uh, but you wouldn't think small after seeing that st uh, stadium, bro. That day was completely... Although it was mostly Rosario from it what was, I saw. But still. Dude, it was packed. It wasn't an empty seat. No, no like, empty what, seats. 60,000 seater is huge stadium and the atmosphere looked nuts bro yeah. it looked nuts yeah and then the last one that the last champion that i think we have left to mention is the club world cup mm. champion the champion of the world brother as we have manchester city defeating fluminense 4-0 yeah. 4-0 in the club world cup final mm -hmm. to crown themselves as champions Pep completes his journey of just a year of dominance with his with it with, with this manchester city side and julian alvarez the ex-River Plate player, ex-Copa Libertadores competitor, just completely went off against the Copa Libertadores champions, Fluminense, in this game, man. I think he had two goals and an assist. Oh, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful game from him. Phil Foden as well. Man City are champions, bro. 
as we predicted, as most people knew about. But Fluminense ended up falling completely short again in this matchup. Ah, dude, they pissed me off, man. I mean, they conceded within the first minute. <laughs> Marcelo trying to get a little cheeky on the left-hand side when they're getting pressed by Manchester City. Goes for a crazy crossfield switch. Completely botches it. Nathan Ake ends up unleashing a worldie, hits the post, and who's there? Julian Alvarez to put it home. And then within 60 seconds, Fluminense are down 1-0. Yeah. You, you, don't, you don't need that type of handicap against Manchester City. You, you, shouldn't, Hell no. you do not need that, bro. No, bro. So at that point, I was like, oh, fuck. Like, it, yeah. it's over. Yeah. Yeah. Like, as much as I don't want it to be, it's over. <laughs> and yeah, Manchester City ended up going off in this game. Fluminense tried. You know, they, yeah. they tried to keep it competitive, but... Yeah, it's what we expected. Fluminense's defense isn't the greatest. It's also very old. And, uh, yeah, they just couldn't ultimately keep up. You know, one thing about Fluminense, though, is a couple of players that I would love to see go to Europe. I know there's talks of, for example, Andre, right? Mm -hmm. Liverpool had been trying yeah. to get him. But the last report I saw is that they don't want him nope. anymore. No, it's a different team. What, do you know what was the team I, that I was looking for him? I, it was... Uh, it might be Man U. I don't know. Yeah, it's, uh, it was another English side, but another I can't remember who it was. Yeah. yeah. But maybe Fulham, actually? Yes. Yeah, it might yeah, be Fulham, yeah. which would be cool. I'd, I'd actually yeah. support that move. Um, but I think he's a great player, really good player right in the center of the park. Very good on the ball, but he takes it at his own pace. You know, He's not super offensive. He's not super defensive. He's just very good at distributing that ball. Another player that I really want to see go to Europe, though, and it's one that doesn't even start, it's John Kennedy. Mm. The way he manipulates the ball, I really don't see any other player right now in all of world football touch it the way that he touches it. It's so dynamic. It's so chaotic. It's raw. And I think that's why a lot of people maybe don't like him. Yeah. He's a little too raw. But I love it, man. I love it. He's just so aggressive. The only thing that Kennedy does when he's on the pitch is attack. Which, again, which is maybe why European teams don't want him because maybe he's not really good at tracking back. But... I just hope a team takes a chance on him. Maybe it's like some mid-table team in Spain or Italy or Germany or something like that because I really do think he could go into a team that's willing to take some risks and shine. I do think he has that type of quality. Again, he's really raw. He's very young. But I, do, I just love the ability that he has on the ball. I don't hear enough people talk about John Kennedy. And even Denise doesn't start him, which I just think is a mistake. But I'm going to be keeping my eye on him. I'm going to be keeping my eye on him to see if he makes any move to Europe over this next transfer window. Yeah. And on the same topic, but for the other team, Manchester City, did you see who they've already decided to sign for this upcoming window that's going to be joining them? Manchester City, major, major signing. I highlighted this player during the U-17 World Cup. Oh, and he's found yes. himself a home already. Echeverri. Echeverri. Claudio right. Echeverri, bro, yeah. is going to Manchester City in hopes of becoming, you know, kind of like following that same path that Julian Alvarez went on, going from River Plate to Manchester City right away and slowly just building his, his momentum, slowly building his skill level to that height of Manchester City level. Crazy, bro, because I remember <laughs> that shoot, I had to do it alone. It was a solo Reynoso shoot. And I remember I saw him play the night before, played incredible that game, mm -hmm. had a hat trick, already mentioned it. But I was curious to see, where does his career go? And for me, the question at the, at the time was, will River Plate give him more playing time this upcoming season? He's only really played like four matches and barely really had much of an impact. Yeah. So I thought, okay, maybe they just ease him in into the rotation. Maybe he can start doing something big for this major club. But instead, Manchester City decides to just snatch him right away and start developing him and start developing him over in Europe. I think it's a perfect signing. I think it's a great signing. I think it's going to work out great for Echeverri. But it's just crazy to see how, you know, maybe I'm on the same level as these Man City scouts is what I'm saying, bro. Because <laughs> it's crazy that they detected it and they went for it right away. Yeah, it's a great pick when you think of it like that. As far as what the potential that Echeverri has, I think is super high. I just always get scared when when young talent outside of Europe goes to Europe. I'm curious to Me see too. what's going to happen. Me too. But yeah. when it's Man City, I think it might be the exception, bro. Yeah. I mean, That's I think this, this would prove it. If he thrives at Man City, I mean, what players have they had that truly, truly didn't thrive for them that came from South America, Man City specifically? Everywhere else, I do agree, it gets really risky. Yeah, yeah. So, no, great point. It'll be really fun to see like what City do with him. Do they just develop him 
off the bat keep him in the system or do they try and loan loan him out to other city yeah, type teams like no. like Girona for example yeah. that would actually be kind of cool no yeah I, just thank god he didn't go to like PSG for example oh, Jesus, they signed yeah. so many of these guys Chelsea Chelsea would have like, been I'm, terrible yeah, the, yeah I'm, t- I'm telling you I'm really <laughs> happy about this it's really exciting Man City Club World Cup champions La- any results from that yeah tournament? I, I, I want to talk about other games in this tournament too because there were some really yeah? fun ones man there's, yeah? there's some super fun ones Al Ali against Al Itihad. A nice little Arabic derby, if you will. Egypt against Saudi Arabia. The stadium was fucking popping, man. 60-70% was Al Ittihad fans, obviously, since they were the home team. But, dude, the other 30-40%, Al Ali making the trip to Saudi Arabia. And, dude, they showed up at times even being way louder than the Al Ittihad fans. And they popped off, man. Dude, they went off. A beautiful performance. And it just kind of got me thinking, like, Al-Ali might be one of the best, like, global teams over the last, like, decade. The amount of times they've been able to make it to the Club World Cup, the amount of good performances, the amount of times they continually surprise me. I'm just like, dude, Al-Ali is such a well-drilled, well-ran team. And not only that, they've got some good players. Percy Tao, El-Shahat, their entire backline, Ali Malul, Mohamed El-Shanawi, Probably one of the better goalkeepers out there from a shot-stopping perspective. Put on two amazing performances against Al Ittihad and Fluminense when they went on to face him in the semifinals. And they just don't even act like they play in Egypt. They act like they play yeah. in Europe, That's man. Prestige. It, yeah, it's yeah. prestige at this yeah. point. Like the, this team and Al, this team that Al Ali has, so talented, and they're not afraid of anything. Yeah, man. You, I remember the first year that we did Club World Cup uh, predictions. They were part of that tournament, and mm-hmm. you described them as the Real Madrid of of the of the CAF region. Yeah, and I think they've done everything to prove that they are that fully, bro. Because yeah. I, I'm really happy they got that one moment in this Club World Cup to you know show their prowess, defeating an Al Etihad side that at the moment going into this match I thought would make it much more even nah man Al Ali completely showed that there's levels to this that experience in this tournament matters and even though they weren't playing at home they were the away team they found a way to get a result I thought that stood out to me really you know, I thought that stood out to me a lot because I actually I got this one completely wrong. I thought Etihad would win this matchup, but no. Alali just showed that when it comes to the African region, they are the Real Madrid, they are the royalty, they are the team to beat, and you got to be on your best behavior against them to still get a result against them, even though it's you know it's an African team at the end of the day, a club that isn't funded the way that these major major clubs are. They still have this history to them that I think allows them to compete against even the toughest teams, and it's unfortunate they weren't able to show that. In the semifinal, but the fact they got this one win, I think, matters a lot to those Alali fans and just to anyone who watches Club World Cup football to just kind of get their moment on the big stage. Yeah, absolutely. And even though that semifinal game against Fluminense ended 2 0, Alali had their moments. And with a little bit better finishing, the game could have been 2 2, 3 2 to Alali. They're missing just a little bit of ruthlessness in front of goal that, you know, players yeah. like. Jesus. Hey, Salah will do that for him when he reti- when he leaves Liverpool and he goes to Alali, man. He'll be that guy for them, bro. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, that's another... <laughs> It'd be crazy if that happened, by the way. That'd be so dope, dude. Yeah. If he actually goes to Egypt to just retire, that'd be amazing. Yeah. And watching that game against al Ittihad, I was like, dude, it kind of sucks that they don't have a little bit more money because on the other side, there was Karim Benzema, who was you know the starting number nine for Al Ittihad, the go-to goal scorer for that team, and he could not pay any of his teammates to even get the ball to him. They just didn't have the same quality that Al Ali had, and I just wish. Imagine if Al Ali had the money, yeah. and they were the ones who bought Benzema you think because they make, yeah, more use of that money than like a Saudi club. They right make now. way more use of it. You insert Kareem Benzema as the number nine into this exact mm. same Al Ali squad. This team beats Fluminense and they're playing Manchester Man. City in the final. It's that simple. But it's just frustrating because the team that does have Kareem Benzema does not have anywhere near the same supporting cast. And the reports already, Kareem Benzema kind of yeah. already wants out of Al Ittihad. And it showed, dude, in that game, there were so many times when Benzema was just flaying his arms like, I can't do nothing out here. Because he couldn't. Alali were cooking him. It was ridiculous, <laughs> man. And Benzema himself didn't have a good game because he missed the penalty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. So Alali, I think, just showing once again why they're a top, top team and losing in the semifinal. But that was a big result. On the other hand, bro, the hell happened to Leon? I don't even... Dude, the, 
There's not even anything <laughs> to talk about this game because Leon and Urawa suck. Yeah, yeah, bro. mid off, bro. That's what we that's what we uh, uh, advertise it as. Yeah, two mid teams going at it. We and, got this. Te- we got this game exactly spot on because nothing happened in this yeah. match. Urawa broke the lines of Leon. Surprise, surprise. But they couldn't finish. Surprise, surprise. And then for Leon on the other side, yeah, I mean they're an bang average team. They're mm-hmm. not going to really do anything. They can compete, sure. But against Urawa, maybe it'll look better than it actually is both teams it ends what one nil to Urawa but yeah. ah, dude not not a good game not a good display of football both teams are on the down right yep. now and then since I've pretty much talked about every team so far I do want to say one last thing about Auckland City mm-hmm. man ah what a club seriously I never get tired of watching them play even though it's only once a year in this beautiful little seven team tournament it's kind of funny because if you just look at it in the right perspective in terms of oceanic football Auckland City have probably played the best football that region has ever seen and it's beautiful Howison Manikam looked great against Al-Itihad and also another player 20 year old Nathan Lobo the left back looked great and in context, when you think of the talent that's out there you know players from the Solomon Islands Papua New Guinea Vanuatu the fact that these players have made it to this level, I think, is an incredible achievement. Because they're able to go toe-to-toe with the likes of, you know, Karim Benzema, Karim, uh, Karim Benzema, Igor Coronado, Fabinho, and not get utterly destroyed. 3-0, I think, is what it ended, maybe 4. Yeah. But even then, I think it's respectable, considering what Auckland City are. And when they do win a game, I mean, that just shouldn't even ever happen, but it can. And I I really do respect Auckland City for what they are able to continually achieve. Nathan Lobo, I did mention him, the left back, very young. I love the way he plays. Just from a scouting perspective, I would love to see him hopefully further his career. Maybe goes to Japan, Korea. And I think that's where he could really find a lot of success because I think out of all the players down in New Zealand, I think Nathan Loeb was probably one of the most promising. Really good first touch. Excellent at going forward from a left back position. I think the only thing he needs to work on is his physicality. If he can get a little stronger, a little faster, I think he could easily translate his game from New Zealand up to the best in Asia, like Asia, Japan, or like Saudi Arabia, for example. And then maybe even from there, I don't know, maybe goes to Scotland or something, something respectable too in Europe. I think he could easily achieve. He's definitely a young player from Oceania that I'm going to be looking out for to see if he can really make it to the big time in football. Yeah, man, there's... there's I know for a fact there's one person out there in New Zealand with no internet connection, no no access to the outside world, but in his country of New Zealand, he sees Auckland City win title after title after title, and then he sees that Auckland City plane, that Auckland City jet fly off to go somewhere else and compete at what's being called the Club World Cup. Now, he doesn't get access to it, he doesn't get to see it, but all he knows is that his team, his club, is the most dominant team yes. in the goddamn region and is a fucking force. And that's all he knows. And that's all he ever will because he'll never hear about Real Madrid. He'll never hear about Bayern <laughs> Munich. He'll never hear about Manchester United, Barcelona, all these names. To him, Auckland City is the premier club. And that's just how it is in that region, bro. It is, that's man. the truth over there. You go over there, and that's the team that runs the town, that runs the country, that runs the continent. So credit to them for being able to do that. You put it in context to these other big clubs all of a sudden, and it changes. But for someone who doesn't get to see that happen, then you must be living a beautiful, beautiful life. You get to see a premier club just play amazing football week in, week out. And I hope that fan, I hope that viewer of that team watches this show. I hope so too, really. Shout out New Zealand, baby. (laughs) Let's, uh, man, let's just try to catch up on what's happened lately. Yeah, just a try. little bit, man. I mean, we can just, this surface level, right? We'll leave the future episodes for more in-depth discussions. Liverpool's in the title race now, man. Yeah. We're leading the table and we're looking incredible. I think I can fully say we're title contenders now as we're halfway through the season. Mo Salah is playing incredible football, 150 goals. What an absolute legend for this club. And I'll say this, I remember earlier in the season, I had said that this looks like it's going to be Mosala's last year for Liverpool. 
But after the way that I'm seeing him perform this year, the way that I see him want to fight for trophies and what he means to Liverpool in that right wing position, I I, I just, I'm fearful of what it will look like once he leaves. But more than anything, I, I just don't know if I see him leaving just yet. I think Liverpool needs him still. And I think his durability, I think his creativity and his overall impact and efficiency when it comes to the game, it's irreplaceable, bro. Irreplaceable. And we're just gonna... We're going to get the most we can out of Mo until he can't go. Mo go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I always saw Mo Salah leaving Liverpool off the end of a season where Liverpool had a... Off the end of a season where Liverpool didn't fight for a title. Yeah. But the fact that he's starting every single game is an actual proponent offensively for this team and Liverpool are in the title race, then he can't leave. There's no way that he can. It just wouldn't make any sense. He's been the guy. Sadio Mane wasn't, and it was Salah who was. And if you're winning whoa, whoa, games, whoa, 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 whoa. if you're winning games, <laughs> okay, finish your point. No, no. <laughs> if you're winning games, then Salah stays. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Salah, yeah, Salah stays. Yeah, yeah. Sadio Mane definitely had that. That he fought. He fell off. Right, in a way that Salah hasn't. I'll agree with you there. Right. But Mane was that guy, though. He, Mane was that guy, but he left at the end of the season where it was lackluster for Liverpool. So yeah. when you needed to offload somebody, when you needed to bring in fresh blood, it was Mane who left, not Salah. And Firmino. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Firmino, yeah. So since Salah has already been proven to be that guy and y'all are winning, I think it does make sense that it he stays. Sense. He has to. I yeah. think he has to. He is... He isn't part of the system. He is the system, mm. I think, for Liverpool. And I think that realization fully kicked in this year with yeah. just the way he's been playing has been beautiful to see. Leading the Prem, or right now tied with Erling Haaland in goal scored, but then leading it also in assist. Yeah. Incredible, bro. Incredible. Well, that's another thing that I've noticed about Salah this year is that not that he has been selfish in the past, maybe he has, but I really do see his game being a little bit more giving this year, 100%. But I think it's only helping Liverpool, especially with all the talent they have in the midfield. Darwin Nunez up top. I think it's actually better that he is thinking about the past too because there's so much talent mm-hmm. out on the pitch that they can score too. But the fact that Sal is still scoring at this rate, it's ridiculous. It's not slowing down. It's ridiculous. It's not slowing down. Arsenal lose back-to-back games to Mexicans. Uh, <laughs> Fulham and, and uh, Edson Alvarez's uh, uh, West Ham side. Oh, dude. This is a big uh, bump in the road for <laughs> Arsenal's title race while Manchester City loads up. Kevin De Bruyne starting to show up on the bench for them in these matches. Still a game in hand for them. I think as of right now, if they are to win their game in hand, Man City is only three points behind Liverpool in second place now. Is Arsenal officially out of the title race, or is this just a bump in the road? I, I would say almost officially out of the title race. <laughs> <laughs> They're right yeah, there. Yeah, if, almost, was, yeah. if they draw their next game or they definitely lose their next game, it's definitely it's over. Yeah. But though those two, those two back-to-back losses, horrible. Yeah. I saw the game against West Ham, and it's really Arsenal have a weird problem. Because they actually did not play poorly against West Ham. West Ham bunkered in, you know, two blocks of five. And in moments, in very few moments, West Ham would just go out wide. And somehow, some way, they got goals off of it. Two of them. One of them, I think, actually off of a corner kick. But I, I wouldn't say Arsenal deserved to lose the game 2-0. It wasn't indicative of how that game played out. Arsenal's issue is that... Gabriel Jesus isn't as effective as he was last season when he was healthy. That's the issue. I would say Martinelli and Saka too. I'd say their whole offense, bro. The thing is, I think Saka and Martinelli are playing the same way. They're just like, okay, sure, less efficient. Yeah. But I think Jesus, what he was doing last year, he's not doing this year. What I saw him do last year, especially prior to the World Cup, he would get on the ball and any point on the pitch and he could spread it wide he could dribble past two players he could do a little chip over the over the defense or he could take it on himself and get shots off score some crazy goals his activities there but his output is just completely gone he's not pulling off any of these crazy passes anymore or any of these dribbles and what you get as a result is kind of nothing happening in the center it's just down to Odegaard and then you hope that Saka and Martinelli can do something but I I do agree as you said even the wing play isn't as Mm -hmm. efficient so yeah just in general 
I, I, I'm going to put more of the blame on Jesus. Sure, you, sure, you can do that. Because if, yeah. if you replace Jesus with a really good number nine, I think all of a sudden, yeah. a lot of your problems will be fixed. I agree. Um, but yeah, in general, that offensive line of Arsenal is just, it's not working, even though their ideas are there. No, yeah, I, I love I love how Carragher, Jamie Carragher, broke it down this past weekend after their second loss, where he said that uh, Arsenal is almost becoming too organized offensively to the point that it works against them. It's becoming too predictable now, man. I remember last year, I mean, they weren't technically expected to challenge for the title last year, but then they over exceeded their expectations and they started playing incredible football martinelli 15 goals in the league yeah i think bukayo saka was incredibly incredibly close to that as well and jesus although he was injured throughout most of it when he was healthy like you said was playing incredible incredible football and then you add martin odegaard who was scoring so many goals as well i think as a whole they over exceeded expectations but people just were caught off guard by their offensive abilities man it was just a beautiful fluid system now the way i see arsenal it's it's way too predictable offensively to where it feels like they're running out of ideas and i do think replacing jesus with like a more formidable nine might be what has the biggest impact but looking at the numbers because Carragher looked through them in terms of their efficiency they have dropped all of them all yeah. four have dropped mm -hmm. completely at almost half of the level that they were playing at last year and just the track they're on with goals and assists this year too they're nowhere near on pace to what they provided last year as well so i think as a whole the problem exists with all these guys i wonder if they'll be able to figure it out in the second half of the season but for now i do think they'll be out of the title race if they aren't able to fully maximize their offensive capabilities because if there's one thing arsenal is known for when it comes to this you know this uh elite level of play it's the fact that they do have so many weapons and when those weapons aren't providing on the, at the best level then what do you really have and it, it, they just kind of they kind of fall flat on their feet like we saw this past week dude that's the crazy point and it's very depressing if you're an yeah. arsenal fan the lineup against west ham i'll start with the midfield i won't even look at the back four declan rice okay he's gonna be your defensive guy but then dude get this martin odegaard leandro trossard Gabriel Martinelli, Gabriel Jesus, and Bukayo Saka. Out of the six outfield players that are not in the back line, yeah. five of them were pure offense. Five. That's uh, honestly, Arteta's, from a risk point of view, he's going for it. Yeah. He's like, okay, we're going to play West Ham. They're going to defend. I'm playing five attacking players. We're going for it. They lose the game 2 0. Damn. That, there's nothing yeah, the, you yeah. can do as a coach. It's down to the efficiency yeah. of the players. And as you said, bro, every single player is down. But it, it, it's, it gets very hard to fix because a lot of Arsenal's offensive possession is in that final third. And when they're not combining, when it's not working, then all of a sudden they become very predictable. They become yeah. very one-dimensional because they don't have that number nine to go to where they can just throw in a ball to them. Or they don't have the style of play where they absorb pressure and try to play in transition. They just don't play like that. So when their one point of attack isn't working, which is just ball control in the final third, yeah, Arsenal look lost. Yeah, they yeah. look lost. And, and I'll highlight another point that Carragher made that I think stood out to me. When you think about Man City, Liverpool, and you can even throw in like Tottenham, for example. These teams have world-class players. Kevin De Bruyne, Erling Haaland from Manchester City, and then you can pick out of like two, three more guys if you want. For Liverpool, Mo Salah, yeah. Van Dijk. But if we're just talking offensively, Mo Salah, world-class. Tottenham, Huming Son, I think, could be labeled world-class if you'd like to. But for Arsenal... Is there truly a world-class player? Saka could be it. He could become that. Yeah. But outside of him, do they have anybody else that could fall into that category? Because when you look at the Premier League title race and seeing what's happened these past five, six years, you need a world-class player to be able to do it. Mm. And if Arsenal doesn't have one that truly stands out as that world-class player for them, then I don't think they'll be able to compete on a serious level if they never are able to have that. That's why I think a lot of pressure is on Saka to become that for Arsenal because if he doesn't, I don't think we'll see Arsenal have that player until a transfer move is made. Wow, yeah. That's... Oh, that's that sucks. Think about it. Think about it. That, do, you, that, do they have any world-class players? I mean, I would say yes, but maybe my definition of world-class is a little looser than most. Who, I, okay, who would you say? Well, I guess offensively. Uh, offensively, I would put Bukayo Saka as world-class yeah. just because, I mean, last year he was top two right-winger in the league. And if you're top two right-winger in the league of the Premier League in England, then you, therefore, are one of the best wingers in the world. So if we go by that, I, I would put Saka up there. But I know his season this year hasn't been that good. So maybe world-class, you have to do that for three seasons in a row. 
Maybe, sure. Maybe that's some sort of definition. Last year, I would say he was world class. Yeah, he was last year. This yeah. year, maybe not so much. So I guess it depends. It, it depends on how you define it. And then for Gabriel Jesus, I wouldn't put him as world class, but when he's on it, he's one of the better number nines to play the game, but he's so inconsistent. So yeah, yeah. I guess I, do, I wouldn't put him as world class for sure. Yeah, I think well, I think consistency has to be part of the world class definition. Definitely. It has to, yeah. yeah. So, but Jesus's peak is very, very good. But yeah, man, it's interesting to look at this Arsenal team. I, I know it's crazy, but I think they need to be doing everything they can to try to lure in Kylian Mbappe. Because I think that's their answer. Obviously, it sounds very obvious. It sounds like, oh, of course, that's the guy that would fix it. <laughs> but when you look at the Premier League and who Mbappe is actually considered as a team that he would potentially go to, he's mentioned Liverpool. And I actually think that Arsenal has been up on that list as well. And I, I could see it, man. I could see it if they can continue. If they can continue just being a top three team in the Prem, if they can continue showcasing themselves as a very fun team to watch and you know doing things in Europe that maybe PSG hasn't been able to do, if they can accomplish these things under Mikel Arteta, who has been there for a while now and has shown that he can be a very smart coach, maybe Mbappe considers them as a team to join if he decides to leave PSG. But if you're looking for answers, that's all I got personally because it's tough to find an answer for this Arsenal team with the offensive conundrum that they have right now. Dude, oh, wow, that's crazy. Because imagine <laughs> you're Arteta's boss and you go to him and you're like, all right, let's just take the pressure off the season. We're not winning it. <laughs> we, we lost it over the Christmas break. It's done. But let's get Champions League football again this for, the, for next year and we'll try to get Mbappe in the offseason. That's a crazy idea. Maybe you offload Trossard or maybe Loki, maybe Martinelli. So that way you ensure yeah. Mbappe's out on the left side. But if you have Odegaard feeding Mbappe and then on the other side you have Bukayo Saka, that's a crazy front three from that perspective. So yeah, it's a hell of an idea, but the pressure is so high in the Prem, man. Yeah. It's so high. Like yeah. I could see this season doing a lot of damage to a lot of these Arsenal players' psyches. All right, and to finish off the episode, we're going to do Patreon questions, Patreon-exclusive questions. Folks, if you want to submit a question, go sign up for a Patreon. It's only five bucks. It helps feed producer Rudd. It helps keep the show alive. Five bucks is all it takes, and you'll be able to ask us questions for every single episode. So to start from Chris Vergara, he asked us, what are you most most excited for in 2024 football wise and who do you think will be this year's standout player i'm excited to see city lift the title i really am <laughs> just because it would solidify one of the craziest dynasties of uh, the prem or champions league or both uh I, i'm gonna go premier, premier league specifically uh just because it would solidify one of the greatest dynasties that the english league has ever ever seen concerning the fact that Arsenal would fail again that Liverpool would fail again that the feisty teams of Tottenham Aston Villa Manchester United Newcastle United couldn't bring bring them down when it's supposedly an off year okay. for Manchester right. City <laughs> chill chill right? bro Liverpool's involved this time oh, man. absolutely you relax now that's the point is that for if them they to, did, okay yeah, yeah. That's if they did the it point. now they yeah. beat them still you're a City fan, bro. Absolutely. <laughs> I've always been a City fan since Carlos Tevez was Fuck there. you, man. Always, always, always. Right. Um, so fair, I'm fair play. really looking forward to that. Heavily, heavily yeah. looking forward to that. For me, the number one thing I'm most excited for, the number one thing, because there's a number of things and I would rank them. But for me, number one is uh, Copa America. Mm. Copa America 2024. That to me is like the thing I'm setting my sights on for this year. That'll be the peak of my emotions. The peak of my happiness this year will come when Copa America is happening okay. here in the States, Brazil, Argentina, United States, United Mexico, States, Panama, Colombia, Ecuador. Just it's it's shaping up to be a damn near perfect tournament in terms of entertainment, in terms of storylines. I cannot wait to see it, and I just I'm so excited truly for it. So for me, that's my number one. Other little things I could be excited about, I would say, is Liverpool's push for the title, countering what you just said about Manchester City. Liverpool doing it once again to showcase that they do have what it takes to compete against this Manchester City side that they did not fall off last year and instead just had an off year overall. That this year's Liverpool is the team to beat, and that they get back into the Champions League once again so that we can watch them on European nights. But crowning themselves Premier League champions for a second time during this era that they've been in, I think is almost necessary because it hurts my heart to see them only have lifted one Premier League trophy throughout this incredibly successful era. I think it would be a massive, massive statement and it'd be 
I think this one would feel even better than that last one that we got, honestly. No, absolutely. And, you know, my little things, I guess, is just any, anything like Champions League related, for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, CONCACAF Champions League, yep. is uh, the final's going to be in June. Messi's playing for Inter Miami. That's going to be just crazy to see if they go play in Mexico. I can't wait to see that oh, spectacle, man. bro. Yeah. I literally cannot wait. Uh, AFC Champions League final is going to yep. be this May, this April, or whatever. Von Frey Kofu, just want to put that out there once again. Second division Japanese side have made it into the round of 16. That's crazy. It's nuts. And then, of course, I mean, from an international perspective, dude, we have some crazy tournaments coming. You already said the Copa America. I won't even go into it, but you wait for Euros to see what England and France make of each other. They've been the two probably best European teams over the last four years. Are they going to duke it out once again and go for it? Are we going to see another surprise kind of like Italy did in the oh, last yeah. edition of the Euros? Yeah. Like, what the hell is going to happen in Europe and what is going to be a crazy tournament? And then literally this month, the AFC Asian Cup happening for the first time in five years. And... To see Japan's journey is something that I'm going to be heavily looking into. But Iran, Saudi Arabia, South Korea, they're going to have something to say. And once they get to the latter stages of the tournament, there's going to be some insane moments of football. Damn, and I'll, I'll add three more here. Let's go. You got AFCON. You got Africa. Mm. Will Morocco continue that incredible run they went yes. on the World Cup? Or was it just a fluke? Egypt, do they have something to say about it? If Mo Salah wins the AFCON and then wins the Premier League trophy with Liverpool, <laughs> is he a, a Ballon d'Or contender? That's a crazy storyline that people that's trying to fine. throw out there yeah. you look at um you look at spain will girona pull off a leicester 2015 2016 season here bro Dude. will they pull it off bro because they cannot be stopped after defeating atletico madrid today 4-3 and then Bayer leverkusen as well i want to see what they can do in the bundesliga i want to see how that shit goes because if they can pull it off that'd be an insane insane achievement playing some of the most beautiful football we've seen come out of germany those are my three those are my three as well to add onto this conversation anything else that we got to add at this point because it's already shaping out to be an incredibly an incredibly exciting 2024 Shit, I think the OFC Nations Cup is also the uh, I'm good I'm, on that, bro. I'm good on that. Don't, don't bullshit look, me, bro. I'm going to look at it. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe Fiji does something crazy. Who knows? I do think it's this year. It's usually in the even okay. years. So there's that. Uh, let's see. Now, we're missing some. I feel like we're missing some still. Um, is the... Um, it's a crazy story. You know, room. honestly, I'm not I'm not that excited to see who wins in Italy just because, uh, yeah, you know. It's, it's between Inter and Juventus. Right, absolutely. It's just, yeah. And I over mean, there, they have that uh, system, no, where if they're tied, they they play a one-off they game. They a one-off game. That could be a so lot of fun. So that'd be cool. That that'd be, be cool. That could be cool. Um, regardless of competition, is there a player? A player you're excited to keep an eye on? Obviously, like Messi, I think. Messi has to be on that list. Cristiano Ronaldo, can he continue doing what he does in Saudi Arabia? But those are the obvious picks. To pick a more specific player, I'm interested in Kevin De Bruyne. He was silent the second half of the year for 2023. Obviously dealing with injuries, but he's in an interesting point in his career now. 32 years old. I think he's about to be 33 to me, the greatest, or at least one of the greatest midfielders we've ever seen in the Premier League. And an absolute god when it comes to chance creation for this Manchester City team. How will he perform this upcoming year, though? Because mm. he's a bit of a question mark. Will he just get back into that same old routine of just piecing apart these teams and guiding Manchester City and showcasing himself in the biggest of games as the best player on that pitch? Or will he start slowing down a little bit? Yeah. When will it start slowing down for Kevin De Bruyne? And on, on top of that, can he do something for Belgium in the Euros? They had a good European qualification. Can they do something at the Euro stage that actually that actually lives up to the talent that they've had for 10 years? I feel like going into this year, many people are kind of low on De Bruyne or maybe they're just not really paying attention to him. But I feel that it's that type of year where by the end of the year, going into 2025, people will be like, damn, De Bruyne's a Ballon d'Or contender once again because he could just have he has that ability to play at the highest level of football. And if he doesn't slow down, then I think he'll be back to his winning ways once again. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you do consider, let's just say Manchester City to go for a title race in England, to go for the Champions League Cup, to go for the Champions League final, and then for De Bruyne specifically to 
try to make a deep run for Belgium, it would make sense because Holland's not going to do it in the Euros, unfortunately. Um, Mm -hmm. And then when you look at it like that, what other attackers out there? Phil Foden? Phil Foden might have a hell of a year at the end of the day. He might have a a great year. De Bruyne, I definitely think, is right up there in that conversation. But I, I do wonder because, yeah, he hasn't played a lot of football lately, but is he done? Yeah, it's a great question. question. Is he actually done or does he come back and he's fresh and he's fit and he just goes off with Manchester City and then has a decent summer with Belgium? I I could see both happening. I I could see either. Yeah, I just pray for health because I would hate for this year to be summed up by him as Um, just an injury riddled season. That would would mark the end of it for me for De Bruyne. Any players you're keeping an eye on? For me, this gets really specific because when I pick a player to watch, it's because I'm watching their team. And I almost always go team oriented rather than player oriented, yeah. but I could I pick I could pick several. So specifically, I'm looking at Christian Pulisic. Already had a really good start to life in Italy with Milan. If he can take that to the next level, provide the same type of leadership and performance for the USA, I think Christian Pulisic might have one of the greatest USA years that a U.S. men's national team player has probably ever seen. He has yeah. that potential, truly. And yeah. you know, capping it off with some sort of Copa America and a really successful year with Milan, I think would be crazy. But it's, it's on the books, though. It's possible. And then on the other side, I'm looking at a couple of Japanese players, low-key. Yeah, like, Kubo, for example. Yeah, Kubo. See what he can do. Uh, absolutely. Just to see how good he is playing, obviously, in Spain, but with, uh, no, but with the Japanese national team, Mitoma. Yeah. Obviously, he's had some insane moments with Brighton over the last year and a half. Can he take that to the Japanese national team? There's so many different little storylines where a lot of these players obviously aren't big name global players, okay. but have the potential to do something crazy for their national team, considering that they're playing such good club football. Yeah, the, 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 those are good, man. They got a lot of those guys right now that are, are, have the chance to make a big statement. Both at with club what's and coming. At international. Yeah, with what's exactly. coming. Like, like you said, Mo Salah. Yeah. An insane example if yeah. he's able to have a crazy good run with Liverpool and a good run with Egypt as well. Yeah, Phil Foden, I think, is one that stands out to me. I know he's kind of popular as well. Uh, Jude Bellingham. What oh, kind yeah. of year does I mean, he yeah, have now? Come on. What kind of year? Does he slow down or does he find a way to keep it going? Because if he keeps it going, we're talking all time great. Like at the end of the year, then for me, it's solidified. This dude is on a trajectory to become the greatest midfielder of all time if he keeps it up for another year. Yeah. That's a crazy thing for him to, you know, if he wins La Liga with Real Madrid, if he competes in the Champions League, maybe does something crazy there too. But then if he wins the Euros with England, bro, right. that's crazy that that's in the yeah. running for either Phil Foden or for... Um, or for Jude Bellingham because they both have such strong teams at club level as well. This is a crazy, crazy question and I'm really happy that our friend Chris Vergara asked it. Mm-hmm.